If you will, stand with me for the reading of our scripture this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be reading verses 3 through 9 today. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray again. Father, we purposefully come to you asking for your help that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, give us wisdom and understanding and insight as we look at your word. And we do ask for the author's help to understand fully, as best we can, what you would have us to know, to be, and to do as a result of these words. Father, thank you for loving us enough to bring us along gently to speak to us like little children, and to be our Father. We praise you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me just say that you folks are crazy if you think I'm getting through all of what Will just read. <laughs> wow. No, we're only going to cover verses 3 to 5 today, and even that's going to be a challenge because it is so dense and rich. We could, we could dissect verse 3, which is ends with a comma, verses 3 to 5 are kind of one big long statement. Um, we could spend a lot, a lot, a lot of time here. We're going to spend this next hour or so. Um, and hopefully, by the grace of God, we'll benefit from it. So, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, comma. We're going to end right there with a comma, and we'll pick up when we get through verse 3, which is going to take a little while. So, um, so we looked last week at the brief but amazing introduction in verses 1 to 2 with Peter the Apostle showing the work of the Trinitarian God in electing us, sanctifying us, and demanding our obedience, and sprinkling us with the blood of Jesus. And that was all topped off with Peter asking God to multiply grace and peace to his readers. Now, 
This week we turn from how God has blessed believers and from asking God to bless them to blessing God for his blessings. Verse 3 starts with the word blessed or blessed if you're Shakespearean. That's up to you. I'll probably say both as we work through here. but um, This word is not the same that Jesus used in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you'll remember in that message, Jesus said that the poor in spirit and such and such and such were blessed or blessed. Um, and that word there in the Sermon on the Mount mean, literally means happy. But here, Peter calls for an act of blessing with the word blessed, which means praised or blessed. So it's a call from Peter to praise God. Peter is praising and he's calling on his readers to praise or to bless. And who or what is Peter praising? Blessed be, so there I go, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And man, that's, that's a chunk of phrase there that we need to explore. There's not a wasted word in the scriptures. It's all there on purpose. And we said last week, God is very smart. And he didn't accidentally, oh, don't, don't include that word. Oops, didn't mean to say that. Every word's important, right? So we're going to explore this whole phrase and, and ask why. Why is it this? Why does it say that? Um, Peter didn't just say, praise God, which that's all right. But instead he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, why? Why is Peter drawing attention to God as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we said last week that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all of the person of God, all three persons in the triune Godhead, one God, three persons, one God, three persons, all Persons in the triune Godhead were involved in our salvation. The Father chose us, the Spirit sanctifies us, and the Son demands our obedience and sprinkles us with His blood. Well, here in verse 3, Peter calls for praise to God the Father specifically. And the three verses that are the subject of our message today, those three verses give us a good picture of why. I want to read all three again. I don't think I'll have to go backwards, backwards, backwards... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so it's, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And of course, we'll cover this more in depth as we go. But look at what the praise is being called for. The Father, according to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to an inheritance which we are being guarded for, and it is being guarded for us as well, by God Himself. So God the Father, referred to as the first person of the Trinity, is the source, the generator, we said last week. Of our salvation. And listen, this is so important. 
the fact that God the Father is the generator and that Peter is calling for him as God the Father to be blessed establishes a principle that there is order within the Godhead. There are roles within the Godhead. Okay, Jesus said when he was on earth that he had come to do the Father's will. Jesus also said that the Spirit, when the Spirit came, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, when he came, he would speak of Jesus and bring Jesus' words to the apostles' minds. So listen, when we talk about male and female, when we talk about authority and submission, when we talk about roles in the Bible, it's rooted and grounded in the Godhead. And we see those roles and we see that authority and we see that submission and we see the joy and beauty of it as we look at the Godhead. That's incredibly important. So ladies, when we say submit to your husbands as the church submits to Christ, we're not saying be a doormat and take abuse and just whatever happens, happens. We're saying Look, look within the Godhead, look at the relationship between Christ and the church and fulfill your role beautifully. Men, when we say, love your wives as Christ loves the church, we're calling an attention to the roles of authority and submission within the Godhead, between Christ and the church, and we're saying you better love your wife like Christ loved the church. Amen. Those are the roles that we're called to fulfill. And those things are established as we go back into eternity past and see how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit operated in orchestrating everything. And you don't see a power struggle. You don't see Jesus looking at the Father and saying, but I don't want to submit. You don't see the Spirit saying, why don't I get a, like a verbal role in all this? Because, I mean, I'm pretty important too. You don't see any of that jockeying for position or self-aggrandizement. You see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in perfect unity, lovingly submitting one to another and knowing their roles and fulfilling them the way that only God can. And then He calls us to do the same. So today, as we look at 1 Peter 1.3, Peter calls for praise... For the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, praise God, put simply. Praise God, He is the Father of the Son. And as such, through adoption, He's our Father as well. Don't miss the position of the Father. One God, three persons, and here the Father, because of His role in the Godhead as the Father, is to be praised, is to be blessed, because He is the Father. It is right to use the generic phrase, praise God. It's also right to purposefully praise the God and Father. It's also proper to praise God the Son. It's also proper to praise God the Spirit. And I can't remember what book or message it was in, but some months back, one of the passages we were exploring Trinitarian thought, and it was said that we would do well to purposefully, intentionally meditate on the different persons of the one triune God. And here, Peter calls us to focus our praise on God the Father. And the Father of who? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. God the Father is the Father of God the Son. And God the Son is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Again, words matter here. Not just Jesus, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord is Master, Jesus is Savior, and Christ is the Anointed One of God. And God the Son is all of that and even more. But it's like Peter's using the full name. It's like when your mom or dad yell at you and use your middle name. Jason Don Moore, get down here right now. You're like, "Uh uh-oh, the middle name has been busted out. I'm in big trouble. Peter's not in big trouble. The son's not in big trouble here. He's just making sure and emphasizing largely purposefully who Jesus is fully. He's the Lord. He's Jesus. He is the Christ. He's painting a full picture of the one who is the Son of God the Father. One God, three persons. We're not modalists. We don't have three gods. We have one God and three persons. You say, but I can't understand that. Duh. Nobody in history ever has. And our analogies and our allegories don't work because there's nothing else, nobody else like that in the universe. Don't let that be a stumbling... The fact that you can't understand everything about God is good news. It means that He's God and you're not. So don't say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, of course it doesn't make any sense because you're a little tiny ant and He's God. And if it does cause you to stumble, go to God with it. Go to the scriptures about it and see what he has to say about it. And I would say, encourage you to not try to just make sense of it. Okay? So here, Peter's painting a full picture, as full as he can with three words, the one who is the Son of God the Father. And again, I think it's actually to help emphasize the greatness, not of Jesus as great as He is, as the Lord Jesus Christ, but to emphasize the greatness of the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. As amazing as the Lord Jesus Christ is, He calls one Father. And the greatness of the Son is a sign pointing to the greatness of His Father. The King of kings and the Lord of lords subjects Himself to His Father. And praise that Father. Blessed be that Father, Peter says. Blessed be that Father, He enjoins us. Why? Because He's so great? Well, that's true. But that's not what Peter's focused on here. Instead, he says to bless the Father because according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Wow. That is quite a statement, as partial as it is. Bless and praise God, Peter says, because according to His great mercy. Now remember, we talked about out of and according to. If if God gave out of His mercy, it'd still be good. But since it's according to His great mercy, it's proportionate to who He is. And He's great. He's pretty great. There it was. And according to his great mercy. The word for mercy is Elias. Um, 28 occurrences in the New Testament translated as mercy 28 times. um, All 28 times. Kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted. Joined with a desire to help them. Now stop. Just a second. 
we ain't talking about me and you driving by somebody with a flat tire in the rain here. As miserable as that person would be. And we have a desire to help them, but we're very late. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about God, the Father. And the emphasis in in this definition is on the miserable and the afflicted. Let me explain what I mean by that. I think we're pretty familiar with thinking of mercy as kindness and goodwill, and it is. But look at who that kindness is shown to, towards the miserable and afflicted. And again, that's very important to see. It's not just being nice. It's kindly helping those in bad positions, really bad positions. Kind of like what we talked about here Wednesday night with our condition when we were saved. What was our condition when we were saved? We were dead. The doctrine of total depravity is pivotal to the Christian faith. We were dead. And we were completely unable to help ourselves. We could do nothing. Nothing. And God, according to His great mercy, He sees our miserable state. He sees our helpless state. And look, it says here in this this definition that He had a desire. God had a desire to help us in our miserable state according to who He is and what He can do. And God, according to His great mercy, saved us. And I love the fact that it isn't just mercy. Peter says it's great mercy. He's really pushing to emphasize and highlight the expansiveness of this mercy. This great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ showed us great mercy. He's just grasping for adjectives here. He's like, just give me all of them. Somebody give me a thesaurus, which hasn't been invented yet probably, but he's hyping it up. And I say, hype it up, Peter, because it's right that he should, and so should we. Because what did God the Father do in his great mercy? Oh my, it's just, it's just too much. He, God the Father, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, yeah, I'd say that's pretty great mercy. And again, what a statement. God, the Father, the generator, has caused us to be born again. We have been born again. I think in the 70s and 80s that phrase took on a political meaning, which is awful. Born again and evangelical are kind of like synonymous. And again, it's, it's so politically tainted now that we've, we've lost the beauty of this phrase. The phrase, he has caused us to be born again, is two Greek words. The word us is not included in that, in that two words. It is ho anagoneo. And ho is most commonly translated as the or who. So he, God, the Father, has caused us to be the or those who are born again. And the anagoneo means to produce again, to be born again or born anew. Literally, it's be conceived, be conceived of as causing a second birth. It's a second conception. 
there was a second seed. Jesus had told Nicodemus in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was, like I'm sure we would have been, or maybe even still are, pretty confused. What does that mean to be born again? Well, the Father caused us to be conceived again. There was a holy seed implanted in us bringing new life. Jesus went on to tell Nicodemus that being born again is being born of the Spirit. John 3, 5 to 8. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, real quick, we don't have time to get into this. Water here means the physical birth. This is not talking about baptism. It's talking about the physical birth. The water broke, right? And so you're born of water means to be born of the flesh, born naturally. But unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh, and you see Jesus drawing the analogy here, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Man, Jesus was pretty smart too, y'all. So the giving of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, is what brings about this new birth. John 6, 63, Jesus says, It is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. No help at all. You can't give yourself new life. You're not smart enough to figure it out. You're not going to be good enough to attain to it. The flesh is no help at all. I am no help at all in getting this new life from the Spirit. The words that I have spoken, Jesus says to you, are spirit and life. And James says this in James 4, 5, Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He, God, yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? Who took the initiative? God. Only God could because only God can give His Spirit and the giving of that Spirit is the new birth. I think this is a truth that we are not focused enough on. I'm afraid we see being born again as a mysterious, unknowable thingy. Have you been born again? Yes. I go to church. No, 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 no. Have you been born again? Yeah, I got baptized. No, 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 no. Well, I'm trying real hard. No! Well, I registered Republican. No! It is literally, scripturally, the entrance of the Holy Spirit into the life of someone who previously had been dead in their sins unable to approach God on their own, who were naturally, by nature, enemies of God, and the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, comes into that person's life, making that person spiritually alive, able to respond to God now. Just sit there for a second with that. 
And the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has caused us to be born again by sending His Spirit to live in us. Who is capable, who is able to process these things? Not me. The Father of the Son causes us to be born again by sending His Spirit to live in us according to His great mercy. You were helpless. You were dead. You were His enemy. And moved with compassion, He said, I've got a solution for that. I'll give them my Spirit. God said, I'll give them my Spirit. And I'll bring them to life. According to his great mercy. And then what does that do for us? We were born again, Peter said. Let me get back there because I think you need to see it. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. (laughs) So we were dead in our sins and trespasses. God sends the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit, His very Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, to bring us to new life. And that gives us a living hope. The word hope is defined as a joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. A joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. And as to this hope being living, Wayne Grudem says, Living hope means, quote, that it grows and increases in strength year by year. If such a growing hope is the expected result of being born again, then perhaps the degree to which believers have an intense, confident expectation of the life to come is one useful measure of progress towards spiritual maturity. How confident are you in the life to come? How expectant, how desirous are you of the life to come? Because that's what this living hope does for us. And where does this living hope come from? Peter says it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I think it's great to rejoice in the fact that then came the morning that sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. That's a beautiful picture. And that's great. Jesus came back from the dead. That's, that's, that's wow, that's, that's amazing. But here's my question. Do you know what it means for you that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead? You know what it means for you? The fact, listen, the fact that you have the same spirit in you that raised Jesus from the dead, listen, means that your body will come out of the grave if you ever do die. But it also means that you have eternal life now. The omnipotent God is living in you and through you If you have the Holy Spirit in you. And you do have the Holy Spirit living in you. If you have been born again. Because that's literally what being born again means. 
God gave you His Spirit. That's the very supernature of being born again. And what Peter is saying here is that since there is a living hope that was brought about by Jesus' resurrection, the past secures our future. Since Jesus was literally historically raised from the dead, then His eternal everlasting life is shared with you through the same Holy Spirit that raised Him up. And that same Holy Spirit will carry you into and through eternity in the future. And your future is as sure as your past. Side note. If somebody asked me, and actually not too long ago, John, I think it was, asked me, if you had to tell people one reason why you believe Christianity, what would it be? I'm like, where is the body of Jesus? Because I promise you, if they could have produced it back in that day, they'd have produced it. And they'd have held him up like a scarecrow and said, look, he's dead. But all these people start scurrying around saying, he came back from the dead. He came back from the dead. He came back from the dead. I saw him. He showed himself alive to over 500 people. Many of whom are still alive today, Paul said. That's not for us. But it is for us to say, over 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus in a physical body. That's proof enough. And I will live and die by that truth. Side note over. Your future is as sure as your past, and your hope only grows as you move through time and into that future eternity. And it's literally mind-blowing. And that's just one verse that we didn't spend enough time on. (laughs) This eternal living hope that the Father gave us by raising His Son and pouring His Spirit into us has given us something definite to hope for. Verse 4. We hope for verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Those who have been born again have their hope not just in being alive forever, which is pretty cool, but they have their hope also in that everlasting life. We have an inheritance. Now, what's an inheritance? You get a letter in the mail one day and say, your second great uncle twice removed who lived in Luxembourg passed away suddenly and he has left you a fortune. I didn't even know that guy was a deal. I didn't know who he was. Who are you talking about? Well, we trace the genealogy and you get his stuff. Or cleaner, easier thought, your mother or father pass away and in their will they say, you get this, this, and this out of the things that were mine. So you get money or possessions or something given to you following someone's death. That's an inheritance. I'm still waiting for that rich relative I didn't know, by the way. But maybe if I got that, I could quit a couple of my jobs. That'd be great. But but oh well, I think I would. I think I would. But this inheritance is what? Well, it's not referring to what we get after someone else dies, but instead it's talking about after we die. And it is a result of Jesus dying that we get this inheritance, but this inheritance that we're talking about was secured for us by Jesus, and we get it after we die and come back to life. 
By the way, we don't stay dead. We don't get it. They don't pour it in our coffin. That's not it. It's what belongs to us in eternity future. Jesus said, store up treasure for yourself in heaven. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things above where Christ is. And yes, He is our treasure for sure. But that's not all this is talking about. Thomas Schreiner points out that the Old Testament saw the promised land as the inheritance of the people of God based on the covenant that God made with Abraham. So in the New Testament, what's our promised land? What's our inheritance? It's the eternal kingdom of God that we get to be a part of and have a part in reigning and ruling over with God, with Christ. And the God who is sharing it is sharing it with us. We get to be a part of that kingdom and we get to co-reign with God Himself, the very God who's sharing it with us, who's gifted it to us. He is our inheritance and He gives us what is His as a free gift of His eternal grace. Paul mentions an inheritance as the believer's final hope in Galatians, Ephesians, and Colossians. And each mention of it gives a clearer, more expansive view as it unfolds. And here, back in 1 Peter, Peter says, That inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So this is just another few ways of exploring the surety of this inheritance, our future. This inheritance of ours is imperishable. That means, according to the Bible sense lexicon, it is not subject to breaking down and thus lasting forever. Let me ask you a question. How many of you love stuff that don't break down? How many of you have stuff that don't break down? <laughs> I have had four refrigerators in my house that we've lived in for 15 years. I don't know. They're gone probably. (laughs) I'd name them, but that wouldn't be nice. And that Brady Bunch unit back there in our kitchen probably was bought in 1970, and it's still running. They just don't make them like he used to, right, or something. Sorry. But this inheritance of ours is forever quality. Solid state, you could say. What happened to solid state stuff? They used to make solid state stuff, right? I'm sorry. It's imperishable. Imperishable. It's also undefiled. To be defiled can mean to be polluted, stained, soiled, or touched by sin. Our inheritance that the Father has caused us to be born again to inherit after we die is pure, untouched by sin or outside pollutants. It is purely God and God's to give us. It is as perfect as God Himself because it is His kingdom. It's also unfading. Fading implies passing away, wearing out, losing luster, losing brightness, dying. We live in a world of entropy. Things go from a state of repair to disrepair if left untouched. A house that sits doesn't get prettier. It starts to crack and peel and fall in on itself. A vehicle, the worst thing you can do for a vehicle is park it and leave it. Because entropy... And this kingdom that's coming, that is our inheritance, is unfading. 
No entropy here. It's quite the opposite. It's unentropy. Matter of fact, I love what Jesus says in Revelation about what he's doing in this kingdom of his. He says, who is seated on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He's making all things new, and that new will never wear off. Anybody ever heard of Dean Dillon? He was a country songwriter. Or a little song called, The New Never Wore Off My Sweet Baby. I'd sing it for you, but you probably don't want to hear it. The new never wore off my sweet baby. This kingdom is unfading. The new will never wear off. It's, it will always be being made new. Because it's unfading. And look, it's kept in heaven for you. Oh, man. I'm afraid if I was a Bible translator, I would, I would, I would have to do this if I wrote that. Kept in heaven for you. Ding. <laughs> Not in the original manuscripts, but doggone it. This undying, perfect, always new kingdom inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You talk about a safe deposit box. To be kept means to be guarded and kept safe from something being taken. Our inheritance, our kingdom is guarded by God himself to ensure that it cannot be taken from us or us from it. No wonder Peter started all this with a call to bless God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, and He has called us to an inheritance that cannot ever not be perfect and that cannot ever be taken away from us because of His great mercy. Another other Bible writer says, because of the great love with which He has loved us. Speaking of us, well, there's something pretty awesome in our last verse about us, too. Who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time? Oh, man. So verses 3 and 4 have been talking about God and Jesus and born again and an inheritance and so much more. But in the midst of it all, remember, Peter is writing to these scattered believers in the provinces that we discussed last week. And these believers, these recipients of this letter are receiving all this that Peter is talking about. So verse 5 starts with a person word. Who? All of this marvelously good news is for people. It's for them. It's for the folks that Peter's writing to. They are to bless God. And they have been caused to be born again to a living hope. They are to be on the receiving end of all of this. And Peter said that the inheritance was kept in heaven for you. Now here in verse 5, that you, them, are the who here. That was really hard to write, by the way. You, who by God's power, are being guarded. That phrase, are being guarded, can be translated as to shield. 
And it's a military term that means to protect with a military guard, either to prevent a hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. In this context, it means to watch and guard the and, and to watch and guard to preserve one for the attainment of something. So the you, the born-again believers who are receiving the inheritance Peter spoke of, that is being kept in heaven for them, they also are being guarded. The inheritance is guarded and they are guarded, preserved for the attainment of that guarded inheritance. (laughs) And how are they guarded? By God's power. Now don't miss that. The inheritance was being kept. Now it's the believers who are being guarded. And they are guarded by God's power. God himself is exerting his power to guard these believers. And that's incredible. Makes me think of Jesus' words in John 10, 28-29. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. (laughs) Who by God's power are being guarded. Amen. We are the guarded of God. And then Peter goes on to say that they they are being guarded. Now watch this, how? They're being guarded through faith. Now what's that mean? And how does it connect with God's power? Tom Schreiner again. This is a little bit lengthy, but stay with me. He explains this incredibly. Listen to this. I'll tell you when the quote is over. There is no final salvation apart from continued faith. And thus faith is a condition for obtaining the eschatological inheritance in times it is imperative to understand that God's protection cannot be kept in a separate compartment from our believing. When we get at the issue by asking how are we protected through God's power, oh, sorry, we can get at the issue by asking how are we protected through God's power. All of 1 Peter, Schreiner goes on to say, clarifies that we are not exempted from suffering or even death because of the power of God since the church experiences persecution. God's power does not shield believers from trials and sufferings, but it does protect us from that which would cause us to fall away. What would prevent us from maintaining our allegiance to Christ until the end? Surely the answer is sin. And we know that sin stems from unbelief. In failing to hope in God during our earthly sojourn, God's power, to be effective at all, must guard us from sin and unbelief. If His power plays no role in our faith then it seems that His power accomplishes nothing in our making it to the end since it is precisely unbelief and failure to hope in God that causes us to fall away from God. Stay with me. We're almost done with this statement. If God's power does not protect us from unbelief, it is hard to see what it does. How is God protecting us until the end if His guarding plays no role in our continuing faith? We are suggesting that 1 Peter 1.5 contains a glorious promise. God's power protects us because His power is the means by which our faith is sustained. He finishes with a quote from a guy named E. Best. I don't know who that is. 
E. Best rightly discerns that the ultimate reason for our preservation must be God's gift rather than our faith, since otherwise the reference to God's power is unnecessary and provides no assurance to the believer, since what he doubts is his own power to cling to God in trial. End of quote. And let me tell you what, that's really good. Listen, believer. Listen, Christian. Beloved, adopted of God, You are being guarded by God's power through faith. And that faith is literally injected into us with God's very power. Are you afraid your faith might fail? When I fear my faith may fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path for my love is often cold. He will hold me fast. We have often said and referred to Ephesians 2.8 in times like this, for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And what's the gift? Is it the grace or the faith? And the answer is yes. Our faith is a gift from God. And back in 1 Peter, we see that that faith is guarding us by God's very own power as well. And that is some of the best news in the world. Because let me tell you what, if I could mess this up, I would. He can't. And he won't. Oh, you of little faith. I love the statement that Jesus makes. I think it's in Luke's gospel. Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He loves it. He loves it. (laughs) So he's not going to invite us, ask us to kick the tires a little bit, and then make a decision based on how we think or feel. He says, come. Live and exercise your faith and I'll help you do that by my very power until I see you face to face and there's no more need for faith. And that time's coming too. But that's not what we're talking about here. (laughs) It is some of the best news in the world. And God's power paired with our faith is guarding us for what? For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's another gigantic thought here. Your salvation, our salvation is past, present, and future. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Commentator I. Marshall Howard says it this way, Peter refers to the future condition of Christians when they enter into the life of the world to come, although the New Testament writers also speak of Christians as Being already saved, the emphasis lies on the future state. Present salvation is an anticipation of what we shall enjoy fully in the future. End of quote. And that future salvation is going to be revealed, unveiled. The the word is apocalypton, unveiled in the last time. We won't fully see or know how all of this will shake out, what it will look like, how it will all come until the last time. But we know that it will happen. 
God is ensuring it by making sure with His very own power that our faith will hold true and will carry us into the very kingdom of heaven and and the God of the heaven to the praise of His glorious grace. So yeah, bless Him indeed. Man, we've seen a lot today. (laughs) A lot to consider and reconsider and meditate on. But we'll turn now to application. Try to help us live out what's been said today. We're looking at three B's. Bless, born, and by. B-Y. Bless, born, by. Bless, born, by. If you put it all together, it would kind of read like bless, born, be. Bless, born, by. Bless, born, be. But it's by, so don't do that. Jody. I told her not to count the doors Wednesday night. And she counted the doors. Did you count that one? Okay. Bless, born by. Bless. Peter began this passage in verse 3 by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we said then that the word blessed or blessed was a call to praise God, to thank Him for what was about to be said. Well, in light of what we've seen today and even what Bob said up here today, how can we best bless or praise God? Well, a really good way is to do it. (laughs) Just say it. Use your words. We should be a people who are characterized by blessing God with our mouth. Not only praying and thanking God for your food. That's good. God, we bless you and praise you for this food that we have. We bless you and praise you for the sunshine. We bless you and praise you for our heart beating. God, thank you that my lungs work. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's all grace. And we should acknowledge that it's all grace. We should verbally thank and praise and extol the greatness of God all the time, regularly, consistently, even pervasively. Read the Psalms. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's get it out of our heads, out of our hearts, and into our mouths. Psalm 92, 1-2. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Bob said eight times. How about a hundred times? How about 10,000 times that I am verbally acknowledging God here in the present, thank you for this. God, thank you for these people. God, thank you for this place to be. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. We, we could never stop. It's not just an Old Testament psalm thing either. Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything. To who? God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For what? Thank Him for what? For everything. 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 God, thank you. Let's commit in the power of the Holy Spirit to be a verbally praising people. When somebody walks through the door, God, thank you for bringing my friend to me. When your kids get home from driving at night, 
God, thank you for bringing my kids home. When you lay down at night in your bed, God, thank you for the opportunity to rest. Paul Balash has a song called Sacrifice, and he says, to turn my heart towards you a thousand times a day and to do it with my mouth, letting his praise and the thanks to him consistently being on my lips and other people hearing it. All you do is thank God. I know, right? I can't stop. Bless. Born. Oh, my word. Oh, that we could explore and meditate on and dive deep into this born again concept. So that we might truly see how we can apply the truth of it. It's a great thought that we are born again. That's wonderful. But what's it mean? What, is, what do we do about it? What do we do because of it? Remember, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, how can I know I'm born again? You're saved by grace through faith. So you trust that God has done it. Okay, fair enough. There are desires in my heart that weren't there before. That's a good sign. I've got to jump it. Very not advised to use a future passage in your book to be an application point for your current passage. But here we are. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Now, now, now go back. Well, let's, let's start here. Since you have been born again, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Is it a chore for you to be here with these people this morning? Or is this your joy? Are these my people? My tribe, my clan, my folks? Let me tell you what, one of the surest signs that God has saved me is the love that I have for you people. And that's not me being cool and I just love people really well. That's the very Spirit of God in me. Giving me affection for you that I don't have for other people. Since you have been born again, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's one application. Watch this. This Romans 8. You, however, Christians are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let me tell you what this looks like. This looks like when that little voice in you is saying, you've been wronged or you deserve better or how could she say that to you? You know what that is? That's the flesh. And what does the scripture say to do? 
Look to the Spirit to give life to your mortal bodies. We have got to be a people who develop not just a habit, but a reflex of when that flesh starts to exert itself, we go to God and say, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to operate in the Spirit and not in the flesh right now. That's what being born again does. It gives us power to fight the flesh right now. It gives us power to overcome sin and temptation now. If you're not born again, you can't do that. There's no spirit in you to give life to your mortal bodies. So being born again means we fight sin in the power of the spirit who lives within us. And we have got to be a people. We say we've got to praise God with our mouth. We've also got to be a people who are consistently going to God and saying, my flesh is trying to exalt itself. God, help me by the power of your spirit to put that joker to death. And we've got to say that. As much as we praise God. Because your flesh is never going to stop until we see Jesus face to face. That's what it means to be born again. You have new life. You have the very Spirit of God to empower you to do what you could not do on your own previously. You can look sin in the face and say, Die! I am dead to you and you are dead to me because the Spirit in me is life and I long for Him and desire Him and He is able to move through me in this moment so that I please God and not myself. That's what it means to be born again. To a living hope in everyday life. So let's be that kind of people. Bless, born, by. By, be wise. The clear emphasis from our passage today is that God, in His great mercy, has caused us to be born again. By His grace, we have an inheritance in heaven. By His doing, that inheritance is being kept for us. And by His doing, we are being kept for it as well. If our salvation, if our very lives, were a poem, a movie, a painting, it would say, by God. Who did this? God did this. It's by God. I'm by God. West by God, Virginia, right? I probably shouldn't say it. Look at this. This is... i got to hurry. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because of Him, by His doing, you are in Christ Jesus. That's on God, Kanye said. Galatians 1, 3-5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom? 
be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Philippians 4.22, our God and Father, be glory forever and ever because it's by Him, the Spirit in us, us in Christ, all held by the Father's hand, an inheritance waiting for us, us being guarded for that inheritance by His own doing. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Because it's all by God. And maybe you sit here today and you say, Nah. I just don't feel it. I don't believe it. I pray that by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit of God might take up residence in your life and you see your need for a Savior because you are a sinner. Whether you feel it or figured that out yet or not, it takes the Holy Spirit of God by the grace of God to move into your life, to bring you to new life, that you might be born again that you might have a living hope that your sins are forgiven and you have an inheritance waiting in you in heaven, kept there by God, and you will be kept by God for it. It's all grace. And I pray that by God's doing, you would know that, see that, do that, and be that today. Let's pray. Father, we believe that it is all on you. It is all from you. It is all for you. So we bless you, Father. We bless you because you caused us to be born again to a living hope. By your design, by your very power, by your very life. What an incredible three verses of Scripture. And your book is full of this stuff, God. May we invest ourselves in it. May we publicly praise you with our lips. May we bless you at all times. May we know the power of the Holy Spirit that we have been born again by. And may we give you all the credit and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? We'll just stay where we're at. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways for who's known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid for. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can.